The first team Katie and I played for had both boys and girls. It was all I wanted. Soccer mattered so much to me from the very beginning. It was my first source of pure joy. It was like someone had suddenly turned on all the lights in my life. Hello everybody and welcome to Two Goals. I am Katia. And I'm Maria Laura. And today we're doing things differently. I have in my hands the book Grace the Warrior, One Women's Soccer Odyssey, a one-of-a-kind piece awarded with the Vicky Orvis Book Prize, and it was launched after Women in Football's What If campaign in 2018. To discuss its relatable situations, ideas and experiences that many women have gone through while working in football, and also to share a life story, we brought its author. California born and raised, documentary producer and gender equality advocate, Susie Petruccelli. Susie, we are so happy to have you here with us. Oh, thank you guys. So nice to meet you. I'm very excited to, to, uh, to be with you. Thank you. And to begin this interview, can you tell us in a few words, how did football arrive to your life? Yeah, so, you know, I think football arrived in my life sort of from the heavens. Um, I, you know, my parents were both sports lovers and sports fanatics. Uh, they met at Stanford University in Northern California. My dad uh, was on the football team. Um, and there's a story about my mom when she was a junior at Stanford and my dad was a sophomore on the football team. And the story goes that my mom would be standing in the stands yelling at the coaches from the sidelines, put Delalis in. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't know. And they had never met before. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. But, you know, being a fan for her was one of the only opportunities that she had in sports. Um, so, you know, they raised uh, all four of us kids to be athletes um, at the time, the sports the popular sports around in our neighborhood were American football and baseball and basketball. They were always on TV. Um, and so those players were the stars that we looked up to. Um, and, you know, I was pretty sporty and I loved anything. I played anything with my little, uh, with my big brother in the backyard and all the neighbors. Um, but then when the time came for me to play that, you know, there was no opportunity for me. They, they didn't want me to play American football or baseball. Um, so, you know, that, that was disappointing and um but i was lucky because at that time in the united states girls were just starting to be allowed to play soccer so um you know i was five and i was given a soccer ball and a uniform and you know allowed to run around on the field with a bunch of other kids boys and girls and i just loved it right from the beginning so i i thought i was you know i felt extremely lucky and um you know now of course knowing all the history and knowing how many girls are still not allowed to play around the world or discouraged from playing around the world. I, you know, I, I, um, I appreciate that opportunity even more and am working to, you know, grow the game around the world for girls. Mm -hmm. And Susie, still about your childhood, you say in the first part of your book, competing in sports was also the beginning of a new relationship with my father. Soccer offered me a new opportunity to please him and capture his attention which I always desperately craved more of. I wanted us to be able to relate to each other in a way. And taking this example of your personal experience and perspective, can you explain to us how important is sports and in your particular case in football, 
to strengthen relationships between daughters and parents? Sure. Yeah, good question. Um, so, you know, I think sports uh, was central to my relationship with both of my parents. Um, you know, I think for me, particularly with my father, he ran for or jogged for exercise every single morning um, of his life, uh, like religiously. Um, he got up, he stretched, he ran every morning. It didn't matter where we were or what we were doing. And that was sort of the example that he said that exercise is essential, um, that physical health is essential. Um, so, you know, and also my earliest memories uh, my you know bonding with him were being out on a field and kicking a ball around um and um and the you know even to this day the best times the best memories that i have of him uh were when he was proud of something that i did on the field um but it was complicated too and you know he had very high expectations for all of us um and you know in terms of my mom it's interesting to look back and you know pay back pay her back really all the credit that she deserves for instilling a love um, and a passion for sports in me. Um, it took me a while to see that, you know, because I didn't see her as an athlete because, and now I know she didn't have opportunities <laughs> to be an athlete. Um, but, you know, now I look back and I say, you know, she was, she was just as passionate about sports as, as the rest of us. Um, so I, I always thank her now going back. <laughs> for that. So, there, so there's something uh, that you mentioned in a former interview, but also right now, just now is that they have, your parents had, higher expectations for all of you. So th this means um, what you mentioned in the former interview is that they wanted you to be a soccer player, but also a good student, like really, really good student and committed to, to your to professional, in a way, career, starting to your professional career. And then you got into Harvard, which is top, top university, really, I can imagine, which is really, might be really hard. Uh, for everyone to go there. So how was performing both as a player and a full-time student there? Yeah, you know, you're right. It, it, it's not easy. Um, it wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, I think it's not easy for anyone to have two jobs at the same time. Um, you know, you're like even like professional athletes, women today, you know, female professional football ballers, most of them have two jobs, right? They're playing and they also are carrying a second job. So it was very similar to that. Um, and, you know, at Harvard, we were supposed to be, you know, diligent students, um, and they were very demanding on us, but, and, you know, at the same time, we had this very, you know, demanding second job, um, very time consuming to play soccer, and it was physically and emotionally exhausting um, to be on the soccer team, and, um, you know, at, at Harvard was a funny place, too, and I, I know there are other places like this where, and, you know, particularly some Ivy League schools where uh, there's a stigma that, you know, at the athletes at Harvard weren't considered like, quote unquote, real Harvard students, you know, which was hard for someone like me who was already a little bit insecure about my capabilities as a student. Um, I had an identical twin sister who was, you know, an excellent student and very, very, very diligent. Um, so, you know, I sort of backed away a little bit from my identity as a, as a, uh, you know, as a student, and I focused on the team. And, um, you know, I focused on my comfort zone, right? My happy place, which was on the field with the team in the locker room. Um, and then so my priority was the team. And, you know, that that became problematic. Then later on, you know, when I had an injury, and then that happy place was was gone, and I and I sort of lost that part of 
my identity that I was taking all of my pride in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge to do both at the same time, but I, I do think that most female athletes do that. I think both female, you know, most female athletes are, you know, have, have multiple jobs, right? It is, it is an, but there was an important feature that you learned in, in Harvard, and I would like to read, read it from your book first, which is the other girls on my team told me a little bit about the law called Title IX and how it had made our team and most of the other women's team at Harvard and other universities in America possible. So for us and our audience, of course, since we are not from the U.S., could you tell us a bit about Title IX and how this disrupts U.S. sports panorama? Sure, yeah. Um, so Title IX uh, was a law that was passed in the United States in 1972. Um, and it essentially bans discrimination on the basis of sex within schools that receive federal funding. Um, and the law, Title IX, is part of a larger education uh, amendments um, at the time. And it's only, Title IX itself is only 37 words. It's very short and it's a crazy how vast the impact was. Um, basically, you know, it made it illegal to spend disproportionately more on men's uh, sports programs and women's sports programs. So in 19, so let's say 1970, there were probably about, you know, approximately 100,000 girls playing high school sports in the United States. And today there are over 3 million. Um, so it's, it's really like vastly changed the youth landscape, youth sports landscape in the United States. Um, and, you know, and that includes, you know, all levels of schooling and obviously uh, up into the university level um, and had a major impact on where our, you know, national soccer team is now. Um, in 1970, uh, soccer was the 20th most popular sport for girls in the United States. And then and now I think it's it's the third most popular sport in the United States. So it just exploded. Um, and, um, so it had a huge impact, you know, and it also, it did two things the, the goal, the, the, the purpose of Title IX was really to get women into higher education. It, it, you know, there was no mention of the word sports in the law. Um, so, you know, the law effectively did both things. It got this generation and following generations of women in the United States into higher education, into graduate school, medical school, law school, business school. Um, starting now into, to get into boardrooms and decision-making roles. Um, but it also uh, created these generations of very, very highly skilled and very, very um, high-level athletes in the United States. So um, it's worked, you know, it's worked for what it, for what it, um, what it intended to do. And then it also had this amazing side effect of, of revolutionizing um, sports in the United States. Yeah, it was a changing point, absolutely, and yeah. we, sh we should look uh, up to, to it uh, around the world, for sure. Um, and, and you know, so, sorry, Katia, I just want to, to introduce something, and which is really important, is what you're mentioning about focusing into education as well. It's not only about creating top athletes, it's also about education. That's something that I, will, I wanted to highlight from what you just mentioned. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it goes, but it, it, they work together. Um, right now in the United States, we have these, this emerging, you know, generation, this first generation of, of, we call them title nine babies, right? Like I'm basically, I'm considered a title nine baby. I'm the first generation of women that had both. We had, you know, high level academics and high level sports. Um, and, you know, the, the way it's rippling around the world, hopefully, 
um, and just give, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to be a trailblazer and do something that no one else has done before, like Billie Jean King and all these amazing women, Moya Dodd, right? It's, a, it's very, very hard to do that. Those women are legendary. And so now what we need to, what we're doing is those women have paid, have created the pathway. And now our responsibility is to pave those pathways and make it easier for, you know, bigger groups of women to follow behind. And that, and the laws like title nine are, are doing that are helping to do that. Exactly. Absolutely. agree. And uh, now moving on to, into your professional career. We know you are extremely active and you are portraying diverse roles. So let's start with coaches across continents. Can you tell us more about it and what is your role there? Sure. Yeah. Coaches across continents is, is very near and dear to my heart. So um, coaches across continents is uh, an organization that was started by a guy who played soccer ahead of me at Harvard. His name was Nick Gates. Um, and uh, you know, he had had a company before, a company before uh, Coaches Across Continents that was a soccer coaching business and he did very well with it and he ended up selling it. Um, and he realized that he could use soccer to um, teach more than just soccer. And so he started uh, creating curricula to teach things like AIDS awareness and uh, mental health and leadership and inclusion. Um, so, you know, Coaches Across Continents, he started basically in one village in Africa, and now they've grown, and I think it's been 12 or 13 years now, um, to over 50 countries around the world. Um, so at the time that I was getting into, in my career, I was getting into advocacy and um, using sport for social good. Um, they were starting to build a curricula around gender equality. Um, so we, you know, sort of got together. I started being an advisor for them on that, um, on that project. And, you know, I really, really wanted to go on site with them and be a coach, uh, somewhere, um, for them, you know, somewhere around the world. Um, but I had babies, little babies at the time. So I, the timing wasn't right for that. But luckily for me later on, just like three years ago, when I started working with Kelly Nascimento on her documentary, we got to uh, join up and uh, partner up with uh, CAC um, Coaches Across Continents um, in, uh, for a project in Zanzibar that actually is included um, in the documentary. So, so um, yeah, Coaches Across Continents is an amazing organization. I mean, you just mentioned uh, Kelly Nascimento and it is, I mean, it is quite amazing to explain to the audience that you have also worked with uh, Pele's Foundation. So what's the purpose of this organization? Tell us a bit about the task or the consulting role that you have performed with them. Sure, so I was lucky, very, very lucky to be introduced to Kelly Nascimento, who's one of Pele's daughters, um, through a mutual friend. And we um, started collaborating together on a few different projects. And one of Kelly's great ideas, she's full of great ideas, but one of her great ideas was to build a foundation that uses soccer to promote world peace. Um, and, you know, she always says, she always jokes that when other kids were singing in the shower when they were kids, she was saying speeches and pretending she was secretary of state. Um, so, you know, she basically had this dream to work together with all of her siblings and build on her father's legacy um, on grow this foundation. And so that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do with her foundation. 
And at the same time, you're involved with equal play, playing field. I mean, I think you have like more than 24 hours a day, Susie, if you, <laughs> if you want me to say this. But what will you highlight from this initiative? Why, why are you involved with them? So, you know, I came into the Equal Playing Field initiative after they had already broken two world records. Um, they, it's an amazing group of women. Um, and so they had already broken a world record for the highest elevation soccer match ever played and the lowest elevation soccer match ever played um, to, to, to show how far women will go to play the sport that they love. Um, they might use a different metaphor, but that's the one that I like. And um, so uh, I came in after those two, first two expeditions had already been completed, and I helped um, this amazing filmmaker, Amy Rose Eisenbach, with her with a documentary about those first two um, expeditions. And then I luckily got to participate in their next set of world record-breaking games, which were uh, at the in Lyon during the World Cup last summer. So I, I am a, world, a Guinness World Record holder, which is very exciting. I have my medal around here somewhere. Um, and uh, we played in the longest uh, five-a-side match uh, ever played. Um, and it was very hot. It was like 100 degrees, and it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. So, and they ended up breaking a, a fourth world record uh, that week. So now this amazing group, Equal Playing Field Initiative, has four Guinness World Records. Um, and, um, yeah, they're just amazing. They've gone on to do amazing things. Maggie Murphy, one of the founders is now the, uh, the GM at Lewis FC. Mm -hmm. Um, and Laura Youngson, uh, started a company doing, uh, sport, uh, female, um, ergonomically correct cleats for women. They're, they're both just amazing people. Everyone in that organization is amazing. Um, I mean, since we're talking about your professional experiences, which are plenty, of course, and we are happy to, to share this. Um, you, we want to focus also on your communication sites and, and I want to speak about communication is not only about interviewing, it's not only about written press, but being a, a book author yourself and also a producer, uh, you know, that audiences are demanding a lot more. I mean, like in terms of they want short videos, long videos, they want podcasting, they want broadcasting. So do you think, in your opinion, uh, is there enough football culture or documentaries available, or is it a sector which should be more explored? Um, it's sort of sad how few uh, how few uh, women's soccer or women's sports um, media is out there. I didn't say that properly, but um, I think you know what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, I, I, in the United States, uh, women's sports gets only 4% of investment in sport in the sports media landscape. Um, and we, we did have 6% at one point a few years ago. And so, and it, the trend is going down, which is very disappointing and very sad. So we need to turn that around for sure. Um, and, you know, there's, this whole idea, actually, Moya Dodd was just on this amazing podcast um, with Sue Anstis in, in England called The Game Changers. Um, and she was talking about, um, you know, this whole idea that there's no demand um, for to watch, you know, to watch women play sports. And she was saying that it's the biggest fallacy um, that's been sold to us in, in this century. Um, and uh, in the last century, sorry. And, um, you know, it, you know, she was saying that it's not something that occurred on its own and that it was deliberate um, and that we have been kept, women have been kept out of the, uh, of sports media um, 
and um, and out of you know out of professional sports. Um, and, you know, even I've seen it, even just trying to put, publish my book, um, you know, I've been told, I was told before it was published by some people that there's just no audience for a women's sports story. Um, and, you know, I, I, obviously that's not true. Um, you know, we all know that's not true. And so, you know, it's up to us to prove that there's an audience and build the market and, you know, provide the data that shows where the market is and who, who the, who, you know, how, how to reach the market and, you know, move, move on from there. You know, actually, Susie, uh, on that note, it is really interesting what you're mentioning about understanding the audience itself, the targets, because I think this is, uh, a pattern. I mean, you're you're mentioning a struggle for women uh, being into into like becoming a product for for communications. But at the same time, there is something else which is a barrier in other regions. And I will definitely uh, think we need to exchange best practices between, let's say, South America and podcasts like the Game Changers because that's something else. Like that's another completely other reality. I mean, portraying. Uh, women in South America, oh my God, that we have other other problems, but we can learn from that, definitely. Yeah, and I do think that even just telling stories of young girls who love the game and have found their own pathway in the game shows other little girls that they're not as different as they may be told they are. Um, and that there are, other, there are millions of girls just like them that, you know, where soccer or whatever sport it is, is their, is, is their love of their life. Um, and that that's okay. And it's amazing and that they need to go for it. Um, but, um, so I think in that way, um, any kind of storytelling, any kind of, um, you know, any kind of platform where you can share more girls sports stories is really important. It's really important for little girls to see other little girls just like them. Yes, and it's exactly what we want to do with this with this platform is to portray a different uh, range of roles uh, that they can they can be in the future because usually we don't have access to to this information and it urges for us to to portray this these women out there for them to aim to be like them and yeah. going deeper on your contributions in in this area. We know there's a documentary coming up soon with Gali Nascimento, as you, you, you mentioned before, which features top sports figures such Alex Morgan, Marta, Anya Luko, Neymar, Bill Jinking, Julie Fondi, Abby Wambach, among others. So please, can you tell us what Warriors of a Beautiful Game is about and when it will be launched? Yeah, thank you. I would love to tell you. Um, so the documentary that we're making with Kelly uh, is called Warriors of a Beautiful Game. Um, it's the story of a young Brazilian female footballer who was born in a favela. Um, and, you know, she dreams, she's dreaming of becoming a professional, a professional footballer. And, you know, she wants, you know, that's her dream, not only because she's pe so passionate about the game um, and she loves it um, and she's amazing at it, Um, but you know, she also believes that that's her avenue to get her family out of the favela. Um, and, um, it's a fascinating story. She is a genuinely magnificent person, um, and a magnetic person and a lovable person. Um, and, um, it's going to be a great story, you know, even just during the filming, there was a lot of emotions, a lot of 
crying when I was crying when, you know, we were interviewing Marta. I was crying when we were interviewing so many of, of the people that we got to interview. Even even someone I couldn't understand the language. Marta was speaking in Portuguese. I, I had no idea what she was saying. I was still crying. Um, and um, you know, it's going to be a great film, and um, it's an, I hope you know an important one and a beautiful one. Um, and it will be out this year. Uh, we're talking to distributors now, which is uh, very very exciting. We are we are excited to watch it already. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. As this is a different episode and you're connected with culture specifically, we all know that football can be a platform for communicating values, changing stereotypes and accessing to other realities. And with people like you, there is some proof of an increasing interest in generating content around football. So regarding specifically to women's football, what do you think it's necessary to appeal to their stories and keep potentializing women's football literature and audiovisual uh, production. Yeah, so I think that, that the challenge is to get people with, to connect, connect to the human uh, stories of other people, right? Um, and, you know, as, as children, we're inspired by the, thing, the things that we see on screens um, and the things that hopefully we're reading in books, although I can't get my kids to read very much these days. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a huge gap in the amount of stories that we find about boys um, and girls. Um, and, you know, I, it's critical that both boys and girls um, see girls as equals in every arena, including sports. Um, and, you know, I guess that's, that's what I would say. It's, it's you know, we need, to ha we need to find a way for kids to connect to both both boys and girls to connect with the stories of girls so that's what i that's my goal you know what uh, what you just mentioned it's it is amazing i mean i i can definitely relate because i i play a bit of football i mean not professionally at the end but when i was a kid i i used to love playing and my parents they were like like yours they loved me to practice plenty of sports um but i will have loved to relate to a footballer in fairy tales, let's say, like not to kings and I mean in Colombia we didn't we don't have kings, <laughs> we don't have monarchy, that's something to relate to. But uh, I can imagine myself reading a book about a sports uh, woman or a sports guy. I mean, and their and their path into I don't know going into college or gaining a, a prize and all this stories around sports they are really really interesting i mean themselves they they don't need to add some more fantasy they're really cool for them to to follow so i definitely think that this is the a chance to this is an opportunity for for writers out there to to try and get to those stories yeah yeah i agree i i think um you know and it's 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 going to be a challenge because you know there is a barrier there is sort of this this um stigma really that you know nobody's there is no market for these stories um so you know we just have to prove one at a time and by one you know one by one that you know people do love these stories and they relate to them i i actually i actually think it's kind of strange that we keep ha that we're having to try so hard to prove this because people love you know reality tv people love tv about regular people um and they love to see their ups and downs and their daily you know lives um, the humdrum stuff and the, you know, the ups and downs. Um, so, you know, I, I, to me, it seems obvious. 
I've said this before. It's kind of this, like a like a cheesy term, but like reality literature, right? It's 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 stories about regular people. And for me, the ones that I relate to, you know, or gravitate to, I guess, are about female athletes at any level. Little kids, you know, um, kids going through issues in high school and sports, especially like for me, the mental health side. Um, I'm always um, interested in and um, and I think that's that you know that's particularly somewhere where we need to share more um, and open up more about and talk about more yeah and uh, I, I would like to add a note here that, that we all know that football and literature and culture it goes hand in hand through society to the old uh, uh, ages and eras and uh, we have to to look specifically to, to the book part literature parts um, It's only to say the struggle of fi to find uh, a book about football, specifically women's football, I think it says it all. If, if we want to, to find some, some literature about women's football, it's difficult nowadays. Uh, we can, you can go to Amazon and maybe we can find one, but you go to a library and you, it, it's almost, uh, uh, I would say, uh, I would say only difficult to find one, not to, to, to say more than that. And this shows us the lack of um, attention uh, through, that, that is uh, supported by the industry to this, to this case. And when I say industry, I say the cultural part and also the football part, because you, you mentioned the education. We need to, to educate ourselves and also the governing bodies and the, the national governments. They have to look up to this. And I, I would like to say, because I have a background in literature, I think the kids nowadays, they enjoy sports, they enjoy football. Why not to introduce some football literature inside of the education part, the educational part? Of course, we need to portray the literature heroes, but also these ones. And if the governments look, look into it, I think all of us would be more happy in the future. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of that it will change naturally. You know, like I was saying, right, we have these new generations of, of highly educated women and, and high, you know, high, high level athletes um, coming through together now. Um, and so I do think that naturally those women will be writing stories and sharing stories and publishing stories and buying stories and producing stories. Um, so I do think that, you know, we are it, it, it's going to get there naturally because there's a demand for it now. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it's been a little slower than I thought. So, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. So Susie, definitely we cannot, uh, let you go out of our podcast today <laughs> without recommending two books and two documentaries. I mean, if you want to recommend some more, we're really happy to, to have this. And Kathy and I, we, we can promise that we will watch them. <laughs> At least you have, you have two, two new viewers, but I'm sure there's plenty of people, plenty of people out there interested on, on that information. Yeah. Well, I actually stacked up a, a, two stacks of books over here. I don't know if you can see them behind me. I stacked up a bunch of my favorites. Um, And uh, maybe I can send you guys the whole list at some point. But, you know, basically anything by, uh, you know, Billie Jean King. I have the Dick Kerr Ladies book over here mm -hmm. um, by Barbara Jacobs. I have Julie Foudy's book. Um, I have Girls of Summer, which is the book that, that is going to be made into a movie by Netflix um, about the 99ers. Um, I have The National Team by Caitlin Murray. I have Sue Lopez's A Guide to Women's Football. I have so many. I'll, I'll send you guys the whole list. Um, and then as far as what to watch, I would say watch anything that Bex Smith is putting out on Copa 90. 
Um, she's, uh, she's just amazing. And she's, she's building out the women's, um, side of Copa 90. Um, and, um, you know, she's, she's just doing amazing things. So, so Google, so Google her. That's what I would, that's, those are my recs. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. We also recommend her. She was our professor. She, she gave us a guest lecture and we also recommend her <laughs> to, all, yeah, to all the audience. Um, so Susie, you close your book with the following statement. But most of all, I don't want any girl to be alone when she experiences inequality for the first time. I want to be there letting her know that there is a massive growing army fighting to make things equal for her before she grows up. This is our responsibility. So we normally finish our episodes with an advice, but in your case, can you tell our audience why they should read your book and how important it can be for girls and women in football? Um, well, thank you for saying that it's important. I appreciate that. Um, um, you know, I guess, you know, it's sort of like, so somebody just mentioned to me, um, you know, I was feeling guilty because I wasn't able to sit down and watch every single one of the NWSL games for the Challenge Cup that's on right now in the United States. And, you know, you can find it on Twitch internationally, too. Um, and I was upset at myself because I, you know, I just couldn't make the time to sit and watch the games. But a friend of mine recently said, he's like, you know, you can't you can't beat yourself up about it. He's like, just turn the game on, record it even just making the time to do that, you have it on in the background if you can, um, that registers in terms of ratings and the data um, and in, is, is one of the most valuable, um, one, one of the most valuable things you can do to move the game forward. Um, so, you know, for me, that's an important piece. And also, you know, in my case, just buying the book or buying another book about women's soccer um, by someone else, um, that act, um, is a huge, is a huge, um, part of the movement. And, um, you know, it's really going to make a difference because proving that there is an audience is one of the biggest hurdles that we're facing right now. Suti, thank you. Thank you so much for these words and thank you for this time. I mean, uh, <laughs> this is the first time that we are dealing with, uh, culture itself, like literature. Uh, focus on women's in, in women in football in our podcast and we have had a blast with you thank you so much for enlightening us oh you guys are the best thank you and congrats to both of you on graduating thank you <laughs> thank you so much and remember everyone this is a space for football and literature and culture and documentaries <laughs> so please feel free to join us feel free to share your stories and remember to follow us on twitter and instagram with the name two goals podcast and on YouTube. Now we are available on YouTube. If you prefer that platform, please go there and give us a listen. And thank you so much for hearing us. Thank you.